potential and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show. Today, bring you another really fascinating guest uh, involved in creating a better tomorrow on some really unique fronts. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined uh, by Dr. Wade Blair, uh, who is head of virology and vaccine discovery uh, at AstraZeneca. Um, Dr. Blair uh, originally did his PhD in microbiology uh, at the University of California, Irvine College of Medicine, when he was focused on uh, coronaviruses like polio, uh, went on to do postdoctoral research uh, at Duke uh, in the area of HIV, and has held uh, positions of increasing responsibility, uh, both uh, in areas of therapeutics and vaccines, uh, including positions at major pharma players like BMS, Pfizer, Merck, Gen tech, as well as several smaller biotech shops. Uh, over his really impressive career, Dr. Blair uh, has contributed to the discovery uh, and or the development of several approved drugs, as well as novel molecules and late stage clinical trials. Uh, these include uh, the, the HIV protease inhibitor, uh, atazanavir, uh, the HIV uh, non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor, doravirine, uh, HIV attachment inhibitor, uh, fostemsevir, the HIV capsid inhibitor, uh, lenacapavir, and most recently, uh, he also did some work in uh, uh, CMV uh, infections with uh, letamavir. Um, we have a lot of really interesting themes to get into today, not just on the antiviral front, but vaccines, immunotherapies, a lot of exciting topics. Um, we're honored to have him. Dr. Wade Blair, thank you uh, so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks, Ira. Thanks for inviting me. Great having you. Um, I, uh, as typically we do, I, I would love to start things off by by handing you the floor for a little bit, uh, just to talk a little bit more about you and your background. You know, as I mentioned, you know, you started off in microbiology. You were working, you know, in the area of these uh, coronaviruses and polio, and then you segued into HIV, really right in the middle of very the early days of the HIV uh, epidemic. Um, take us back a little bit. Talk a little bit about uh, the beginning of this really interesting journey you've been on. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, I became interested in viruses when I was an undergraduate uh, at UCLA uh, as, a, as a biology major um, and wanted to go to graduate school uh, and work in virology. Uh, and so I did that, uh, moving to UC Irvine, um, as you mentioned. Uh, doing work in the coronaviruses, and so working on, like you said, poliovirus, uh, human rhinovirus, the, the you know, cause of the common cold, uh, and a number of other viruses in that family. Um, and while I was a PhD student, it's when the HIV pandemic hit. Um, 
And, uh, and so, you know, as a virologist, you know, we felt, felt really uh, motivated to, to get involved and, and to try to do, do something. Uh, and so that's, uh, that really was the genesis of my interest in HIV. Uh, and so um, often uh, after a PhD, you do what's called a postdoctoral position. Um, and so I did my postdoc or postdoctoral position in HIV and I moved to, to Duke to do that, working with a, with a premier scientist in the field, Brian Cullen. And, you know, quite, you know, after your, uh, your postdoc work, you know, you enter industry and, you know, we'll, we'll be getting to what you're doing to AstraZeneca in, in a little bit. And, and obviously uh, some of your work in these different domains, but talk a little bit about uh, some of these different experiences, because obviously, you know, big pharma, small biotech uh, and everything in between, um, you know, you, as well, I also we'll get into um a lot of pharma companies have jettisoned antiviral discovery over the years, but nonetheless, uh, you got in there when it was a very hot topic uh, in most companies. Talk a little bit about how that sort of rounded you off, let's say, uh, you know, you had the academic experience. Talk about what industry gave you at both small biotech and big pharma early on. Yeah, and, I'll, and I'll, I guess I'll preface that by saying that, you know, as through my postdoc, I was, it was not real, I wasn't really clear whether I wanted to go into industry or stay in academics. And that's something that I I was thinking heavily about, and, and and frankly, at that time, I didn't really know much about industry. Um, there wasn't a lot of information in the academic world. It's it's different today. There's a, there's a lot more information on what industry is like, and uh, and for for PhD students or, or undergrads or even postdocs. Um, but um, suffice it to say, I, I I knew that uh, after uh, some of my colleagues had had moved into industry, that I really wanted to to go that route, and and it was really um, again born out of a desire or a motivation to try to to try to discover new medicines, to not just do basic research, um, which, which of course interests me, but really was just to try to help people. And, and again, we're in the, we were in the middle of the HIV pandemic and there was just a, a real need there, a real call for virologists to get involved. And so that, that really was the, again, the driving force for me to get involved and, and, and to move on to industry and, and, try to, and try to discover new medicines. And uh, and discover new medicines you did. And you know, if we could stay on HIV for a moment, because, you know, clearly um, you, you got involved when it, things were just heating up. And, you know, I read in your, you know, the bio of the show in the intro that uh, sort of everything you were involved in, protease and then and, and then RII, capsaic inhibitors and so forth. I mean, here in sort of a uh, a nice little package basically shows um, the type of discovery and development that took a killer uh, a couple decades ago and turned it into this, uh, I don't say we cured it, but we're getting pretty close. You know, we've had Dr. Diefenbach one a couple of weeks ago from NIH uh, and the Gilead folks also talking about sort of this undetectable equals untransmittable. Talk a little bit about, you know, sort of this um, what you experienced, let's say, over those years of developing these important combination cocktails, understanding, you know, single magic bullets, great, but maybe we need other approaches to uh, uh, to deal with some of these viruses. And ultimately, are there things we can learn from that experience um, that we can apply to other sort of pharmacotherapeutic areas where we're not thinking uh, in combinations, in cocktails as much as we should be? Yeah, no, good point. So that, and that was really... Uh you know, that the, the combination concept, uh, you know, at least uh, from my perspective, originated in HIV. It's being applied to other areas now. But but again, just because the, the virus mutates so fast that, um, you know, the you know, dis discovery of 
highly active antiretroviral therapy was a huge discovery, but then very quickly um, it was it was it was determined or observed that you know if you throw one agent on it, the viruses mutates around it, and so really the discovery of multiple agents hitting multiple targets and, and really um, you know you know some targets were more potent than others, uh, and so having the right combinations was also really important. Um, and so you know I was involved in you know in some of those um, working on some of those drug targets. Um, and then the other side of my career, what it really evolved to is, is really trying to discover new, new targets for the virus. Uh, and that's where we came up with capsid and some of the other, other targets. But in terms of, I mean, cancer therapies now combination, um, this was really applied to hepatitis C virus, which was another amazing scientific feat in terms of yeah. discovery to cure in a sense. Um, but it really was following the, uh, the playbook from HIV. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What, um, as we get into some of, you know, what you're doing at AstraZeneca, I thought, you know, an, an interesting place to go first. Um, it was a really interesting review, uh, you wrote about, um, five or six years ago now. Um, it was entitled The Current Landscape of Antiviral Drug Discovery. And, you know, in this paper, uh, it, it's not just about HIV. You talk about HIV, uh, hepatitis C, um, I think some respiratory viruses uh, like RSV. And, and you basically talk about, hey, you know, this is an area that unfortunately uh, many pharma companies have reduced their efforts in, maybe gotten out of completely. Uh, but there's a lot left to do uh, in terms of obviously interesting targets in terms of long acting duration products and so forth. Take us into you know what you were doing at the time when you first wrote this paper and it was part of pre-AstraZeneca, but then a little bit about sort of how some of the conclusions, some of the learnings from this period uh, affect what you're doing now. And it, take us a little into antiviral uh, discovery at AstraZeneca 2023. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, again, like you said, a lot of companies have, have gotten out of the space and certainly um, that was certainly true pre-COVID era. Um, when COVID came along, a lot of companies got back into the space. Um, but, but like you said, um, you know, viral diseases are, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're devastating and they're still highly relevant and highly important. Uh, and so it, it's nice to see that some companies are still invested in it. And so AstraZeneca is one of those companies. Um, and, uh, you know, and the work we do here um, is really focused on what we call, uh, it's really more vaccines and, and biologics. So we're not doing small molecules right now. Okay. Uh, and, and our strategy is, or our, our tagline is, you know, vaccines for most people and biologics or antibodies to protect the most vulnerable. Um, and so what that means is we develop vaccines for, for, for you know, the popul general population that has uh, you know, an intact immune system that can respond to the vaccines with immune response, which is what you need for a vaccine to be effective. Um, and then for those folks who who are immune compromised in some way, who actually can't respond to the vaccines, and this was a very important component of during the COVID pandemic, um, we provide essentially what one of the outputs of the vaccines is, which is an antibody. And so you can put the antibody directly in a person to protect them. Uh, and AstraZeneca is a pioneer in that space. Uh, in terms of pro it's called prophylactic or protective antibodies that you direct directly give to patients. And so it was, you know, it was a, you know, a really, um, you know, I think a, a groundbreaking thing that AstraZeneca did uh, in terms of providing that uh, for immune compromise and other, other vulnerable patients. And so that's what we're, that's what we're focused on now. Excellent. And, and as we're on that topic of 
uh, immune response and vaccines. You know what I, I what I didn't mention in 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 the intro to your bios. You know, as you as you go through sort of your extensive um, you know publication history and in, in the literature and go into PubMed and, and search on Way Blair, um, a lot of other papers come up in addition to to what you do in the in the antiviral space. You know, you've worked in uh, mRNA vaccines for solid tumors, and, and you worked on JAK inhibitors at one point. Um, this interesting paper on uh, on program cell death and, and, and sepsis. So, you know, you, you also, you know, round the, round things off beyond in sort of the, the triad that exists between sort of anti-infection, inflammation and immune response. Um, say a few words about this because there's extremely important parallels, obviously, between cancer and infections and sort of this, I don't know, this connected continuum of, of all three um, is sort of an important story behind sort of where we are and where we need to be going in in addressing some of these diseases. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think uh, what you point out, so I, I've spent uh, a few years working in, in the cancer field. I spent a few years working in the immunology or inflammation field when I was at Genentech. Um, and uh, and the, you know, the impetus for that really was, again, so I was a virologist and as virologists or even microbiologists were, you know, we do have a, a working knowledge of the immune system because you're trying to to figure out how the how the microbe is, is evading it and, and how to and also capitalize on the utilizing the immune system in, in your antiviral approach, but but you're really not an immunologist, um, and I and I and I actually still am not an immunologist, but but I wanted to spend a few years looking at that from the other perspective, from the other side, um, and so looking uh, understanding the immune system uh, more directly and uh, and then how that ultimately could be applied. Uh, you know, to um, combating viral infections. Uh, and so, yeah, so I spent a few years at Genentech working in inflammation um, and just learned a, a heck of a lot there. Um, really helped build, you know, you know, my knowledge of, of immunology, which, which, which again, helps, helps the virology aspect of it. And then, uh, and then the other piece of that is cancer. So, so chronic viral infections and cancer are very, uh, there are a lot of parallels there. Um, and, you know, in terms of, Evading immune responses, you know, drug resistance. It's just there's just a lot of parallels there, um, and, uh, and and so that that was also helpful. And like you said, rounding out you know my growth as a scientist. Um, and then I think the other piece of that is um, beyond the the pathogen or the disease. Um, you know, again, because our focus is on immune compromise, and this includes mm -hmm. cancer patients. Uh, as well as as transplant patients, and so just a, there's just a, a number of parallels and learnings that you can can bring in in, in terms of different angles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the um the topics that's been kind of hot, well, it's, it's kind of hot everywhere, but uh, especially here, whether we're talking about drug discovery or beyond drug discovery, uh, interesting ag chemicals, or uh, we even did a show on artificial intelligence and whiskey, but this whole sort of AI, machine learning, deep learning uh, technologies that are, you know, uh, being promoted, let's say, you know, push a button and, you know, every interesting drug candidate that you want spits out of the computer. We're not there yet, but nonetheless, um, all pharma companies are, are, are making, you know, inroads here. We, we profiled um, uh, Dr. Ola Enkvist from AstraZeneca last year, talking about AI and machine learning sort of broadly in, in designing new drugs. What What is your perspective on some of these in silico tools, specifically as it pertains to uh, the area of uh, infectious disease and antivirals uh, versus, you know, just 
you know, we did old school <laughs> methods, right? In the past, we screened, uh, we looked at plaque formations and counted cells in a Petri dish. Um, compare and contrast here. Are you excited about these tools? Uh, and, and in what areas do you think they potentially have application for sure. what you're doing? Yeah, so I'll, you know, I'll just preface this by the, by saying that I'm not an AI or machine learning expert, um, but uh, but certainly certainly we, we utilize um, we utilize AI and machine learning you know wherever possible, and uh, and we are excited about these tools. And, and again, I don't I don't think it's going to replace everything we used to do, but it certainly is going to enhance mm -hmm. um, you know uh, what we do. Uh, and, and I agree with you. I'm a bit old school. I like looking in the microscope and seeing the plaques, uh, you know, viruses form on cells and things like that, but but in terms of um, drug design, um, in terms of there's a number of different applications that, that we we're already using it, and I, and I see it growing. But um, but yeah, drug design, drug optimization, I think is probably where we're seeing a lot more dividends right now, uh, and how to take something that that you have some information on, uh, and then use AI and modeling uh, to actually enhance the activity or, or some other property of, of a medicine that you're you're trying to develop. Um, that's being done now. Um, you know, in terms of de novo drug discovery, um, again, it, it, it helps, it'll help that process, but it's, it, it doesn't replace a lot of the screening that we need to do at this, at this point, but, uh, but, but there's a lot you can do with it. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about where it's going, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of helping us get better, get faster, um, you know, in terms of what we do. And, um, you know, thinking about the the last couple of years um, and, and you know, sort of what the globe went through with the with the pandemic, um, you know, one of the themes that has also been kind of hot um, the last year or so has been uh, this concept of uh, preparedness. Um, mm -hmm. Ultimately, how we can make our societies, our healthcare systems more resilient. Um, a couple of the folks, uh, I don't know if you had the chance to watch episodes we did with Senator Joe Lieberman and, and, and uh, former Congresswoman Donna Shalala, who are part of this uh, bipartisan commission on biodefense, where they uh, you know, hope to put together about $100 billion to create a, a wide swath of diagnostics and vaccines and potential novel uh, therapeutics to be ready uh, for the next time. Um, talk a little bit about your vision on on preparedness, because obviously, you know, you're creating the vaccines, you're creating the biologics, a very targeted mission, but um, is there a place for sort of broad spectrum pan, I know the pan vaccines, pan antivirals, um, as we move forward to, God forbid, prevent um, or, or, or lessen the impact for the resilience team of what potentially comes next uh, per spillover and this One Health team? Yeah, and so, you know, and AstraZeneca here at AstraZeneca, we are very involved in pandemic preparedness, um, and we do have actually uh, collaborations with the U.S. government to do that. Um, and so, I, again, there's a couple of approaches. And so what you just mentioned there is, you know, one of the approaches is to develop uh, either vaccines or antivirals that have pan-activity. Um, and, and again, that's a, that's a little bit difficult, but, um, so, but one might imagine, uh, you know, developing a molecule that has weak, but, but pan activity. So there's something that, that you could start with and, and could hold off perhaps a, a pandemic while you develop more specific, more targeted, more potent, um, either vaccines or, or molecules. And so that's, that's one approach. Um, the other approach is to really, you know, step up your surveillance uh, efforts. And so, you know, really watching uh, what's out there. Um, and, you know, and if, we, if we go, if we start talking about that, I, you know, I don't want to scare people, but there's a lot of stuff out there 
that, you know, in animals and different parts of the world that, that could jump to humans. And, and so we're trying to also say, okay, well, what, what do we think are the most likely pathogens to make that next, that next leap? And, and obviously one of those is pandemic flu that we, we watch very carefully. And, uh, and we do have a program with the Department of Defense and developing vaccines for that, uh, you know, now. Um, so, so there's really two angles there, that, that two types of approaches that we would, we would take. What um, I, I noticed that, you know, you you've been getting out a little bit on sort of the, the conference lecture circuit, um, you know, talking about what's going on in terms of AZ, but also sort of novel uh, approaches to antivirals. Um, anything coming up in terms of uh, uh, conferences uh, for 2023 as we get into 2024 um, meetings? places that we can run into and meet you and listen to you, uh, anything else on the calendar that uh, we should know about while we have you? Yeah, so there's there's a number of uh, conferences next year. And I think, uh, you know, so we, we don't have anything scheduled, uh, you know, in terms of at least my, myself, um, you know, giving lectures, but but I will be giving talks on, on some of our newer vaccine technologies um, probably early next year. And, uh, you know, once once we're ready to, to talk about it, um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we, we go to a lot of the RNA-based uh, vaccine conferences, a lot of the infection conferences, you know, where AstraZeneca is, has a presence at, at all of these. Um, and, uh, and we typically have, um, you know, presentations from, from, you know, multiple members in the, in the department that are, um, you know, that present at these conferences. Um, so, you know, if you're interested, we could, we could keep you informed. Excellent, excellent. No, it's um, you know, yeah. As I mentioned, it's uh, uh, a really interesting portfolio um, that you've been involved in creating over your career on you know on both the small molecule front and now uh, the biologics and and obviously the crossover between the infectious disease and the uh, the immune system. Um, obviously, a very very timely for everything that's happening in this space, especially with immuno oncology. So, um, a very exciting time. It's going to be fun to continue to follow you and, and what you're up to. Um, any final messages? Anything I missed uh, for our audience, uh, either per you, AZ, or any other initiatives that I overlooked prior to the show? Please. Yeah, no, I think just a couple of things that you highlighted that I can, you know, maybe reemphasize. And I think first of all, I, you know, I, my, you know, I have a passion for virology, a passion for infectious diseases, and so certainly I just want to reinforce the message that it's it's really important. Uh, you know, for for companies and other funding institutions to stay involved. Um, hopefully, it doesn't take another pandemic to 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 make people realize that you do need virologists. <laughs> um, so, and, and then the other point you make about pandemic preparedness, I think uh, again, and you know, that's really a, a worthwhile effort. Um, it's it's better to get ahead of things and be prepared for things uh, on many fronts um, than to try to scramble and respond to them, uh, you know, after the fact. So. Um, you know, those are those are two things that you know, like to reemphasize. Absolutely. And Very then important. I think also just uh, I just encourage you know the younger folks to take an interest in science. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Um, you know, uh, as you've highlighted in your podcast, but just in general, you know, science is cool. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and you, you do a lot of good as well. So. I, I agree that science is cool, and it's scientists like you are really cool, and that's why I love to profile you. Uh, and uh, no, a, a really great work, Wade, uh, and and look forward to to staying in touch and and, and potentially doing follow up. Um, uh, again, for everybody that's 
uh, is going to be listening to this particular uh, episode of our show across the various podcast networks, or if you're going to be watching uh, here on our YouTube channel, again, you've been listening to Dr. Wade Blair, head of virology and vaccine discovery, AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals. Um, Wade, uh, again, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule for a little while to come talk to us about what you've been doing, what you're up to now. Uh, obviously, thank you for doing it. Uh, and as we like to say uh, here on our show, you know, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow via the type of work you do. It's uh, extremely important and very timely. And uh, again, thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to, to chat with you. Great having you. <laughs>